0: stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Romans fourteen seven and 8. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. The word of God for the people of God. Glad you're here today it's good to see each and one of you out in this snow the beautiful moisture that we've had we're going to begin this uh, year 2022 with a all-important question you think about questions you're willing to listen to the answer and that's one of the ways that we learn um, if you had A question to ask at the beginning of this year, like at the start of this year, what would be the most important question you could could ask, so that you could learn, so that you could follow the Lord uh, more closely, or what would you teach, teach your children, what would you ask, and then teach the answer to, Uh, or what would there be, like if you had a series of questions, and you're going to teach them all year long, what would that first question be? Well, the church has done this a lot. It has worked together uh, within uh, uh, people assigned to ask these types of questions. And, and recently, Tim Keller did a new catechism. He called it the New City Catechism. And he came up with this as the first question. What is our only hope in life and death? I saw that as the beginning of... Most important question. He ended up doing 52, uh, one for each week, and that was the beginning question. Like, you need to resolve this. You need to understand this. This is something you need to know right from the get go is to ask the question, What is our only hope in life and death? Back in the early 1600s, some great theologians got together and they formed what was called the Heidelberg Catechism, and their first question was, right along the same lines except instead of saying hope it said comfort what is our only comfort in life and death what is our only solace what is you know when you think of that word and what the word meant it was like what is our comfort what is our security like what do we put our trust in what's something we can root and ground the reason for why we do what we do it has to do with motivation has to do with everything pertaining to life you see our text said none of us lives to himself this is the scripture verse that goes along with it and there are others that interweave into this these didn't just come out of man making up a question it came out of scripture and trying to teach scripture and trying to disciple especially our children in the lord so that they would have a solid sure foundation when they left home about what Christianity is and what it means. So what is this? What is it? What can you count on in life the scripture is saying? We don't live to ourselves. That's one of the things you need to resolve right now. You don't live to yourself. You don't even die to yourself. It says for if we live we live to the Lord. If we die we die to the Lord. So the the resolving of the first introduction of our text then says So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. The most important thing about life and how well you live it, or dying and how well you die from life to death, is whether you know that you belong to the Lord. Are you the Lord's? Asking that, are you God's? Does God own you? Does God have you? Are you his? One of the most foundational questions to ask and to know and to dig into, and that's what we're going to do today. Now, very simply, the answer uh, for the children is that we're not our own, but belong to God. That's what this scripture says. We're not our own. We don't live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. We are the Lord's. So the answer is we are, we are not our own, but belong to God. Now to dig into that a little deeper, the adult answer as you grow up, it's, it's, it's that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So just remember, we belong to the Lord. What does that mean in life or in death? That we belong to him. This is not just a saying. It's not just something to be countercultural, even though it's very countercultural, because everything in culture, really, since the formation of cultures from Adam and Eve, are to build it on yourself. It is all about you, it's about what you want, about how you want to determine things how you want to decide what is right and wrong, it's not about God and his word and what he says is right or wrong. Cultures build on pleasing man and what they want, and Satan knows that and he offered Adam and Eve in that garden to be their own king. To commit treason against God who said, you shall not, and if they couldn't find a good reason why they should not, they decided on their own and all cultures have been built on that ever since it's it's interwoven into our movies our books our titles everything this message over and over again is you are the ultimate king of your life and you can decide what's right and wrong for yourself from yourself and it is completely opposite of what our text says today you are not your own We are the Lord's as believers we are his we are not king he is king I do not belong to myself I do not rule my life I do not determine the first thing to admit is I don't determine what is right and wrong God does he's laid out what is right and wrong in his word and I let and I submit my will to his my reason to his and if it can't seem to make sense to me I have to submit to it anyway because God is my creator. He has made me and he is determined right and wrong. I'm not my own. I belong to him. He says this is wrong. Everything in me might be feeling and seeing and seeming like it's right. That's what I want. And as Christians, we reject our own desires and we lay them at the foot of the cross and we say, I am yours, Jesus. You are my savior. You bought me and there's basically three things that i think might help us to understand what it means to belong to god that's what we're talking about today we are the lords you want to train yourself in this you want to train your children in this and you want to train anyone that you help lead to the lord this that you are the lords now and to understand that you are the lords here's some things that that they would have had to have gotten see because we're in Romans 14 now and if you move back a little bit into Romans 3 10 you have to admit sin you have to admit like what is our problem is it that we need to do this we need to improve ourselves we need a better one of us we need self improvement there's all these different avenues of what the problem is and what the answer is but the Bible says the problem is sin Sin is our problem, and the answer is Christ. And this text is saying this, that we belong to the Lord. So at one time, we did not belong to the Lord. What did we have to do? We had to remember sin and salvation. And what that results in is our service to him. But sin, realizing we're sinners, Romans 3.10 has kind of summed up and brought to this point that Paul is proving in the gospel of God in the book of Romans, and he's saying, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. There's no one righteous, no, not one. This is the conclusion here, brought from an Old Test- Testament text, and Paul is saying, It confirms the truth all the way. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And in, in Romans 3 23, he says, All have sinned. See, there's no one righteous. The problem is sin. The issue is sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're sinners. And to know that you belong to God, you have to become to this place to realize that you're, what your problem is, and your problem is sin. That's what's keeping you in the in the trap that you're in. You're a slave to sin, the Bible teaches us. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of those sin is death. So we have death upon us, sin and death there see a lot of people and in our world and our society have a hard problem with guilt they don't want to feel guilt but guilt is a good thing god brings guilt and lets us know that we have done something wrong now shame is a whole nother thing shame says you are wrong and we're not shame oriented but we are guilt oriented guilt is you have done something wrong And the Bible says that wrong that you have done is sinned against God. You have fallen short of God's glory. You have fallen short of his holy commands and desires. You have trespassed his holy nature revealed in the law. You have trespassed the law of God. He listed what was good, what was right, what was holy, and all of us have trespassed it. And James even brings in the fact that if you trespass in one area of the law, you trespass in all of them. All I've ever done is maybe stolen a little. All I've done is maybe coveted. I want it. You trespass all of them in the law. So we're guilty. And that's a good thing that we need to know before we can belong to the Lord. It's what it means to belong to the Lord. You have to admit and acknowledge that you're a sinner. so he brings you to for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life so there's a free gift there and what this scripture centers on is a theme throughout all of the bible and that is grace we come to the point of grace so we have sin and we need salvation we need a savior we are guilty and we need grace so sin salvation guilt that we have needing grace. So Teresa and I, in studying this this last week and kind of throwing it back and forth with each other, I was talking about sin. I was talking about God's salvation and about the result of that, our service to God. And then that same thing came along with uh, some of the writings and studies that we did, the word guilt, it's matched with sin, sin, guilty, grace, and gratitude. And Teresa kept saying, guilt and grace and gratitude. Now, and sin, salvation, and service. And they're the exact same thing. They're what are at the root of this text today of what it means to belong to God. We must come to three things an understanding of sin, an understanding of our guilt, an understanding of salvation, that it's by grace alone. And when we come to the understanding of those two things, we will live a life of service. We will live a life of gratitude to God. We will live a life of good works as a result of such a great and glorious salvation. But grace is that thing at the center of this. That's why Romans three twenty four, right after, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it says you're justified by his grace as a gift. Grace as a gift. Grace is a gift. The meaning of grace is a gift. It's like a, a double parative, a gift of a gift. Because that's what grace is. It is a gift. Or when we say the free gift of God, that's what it is. A gift is free. You do nothing to earn it. That's what Romans went on to teach. In Romans 4, Paul brings in Abraham and he says, what does the scripture say? Again, this is teaching. Asking a question and answering it all the way through. Excellent question. This would be the next question you you would have. What does the scripture say about grace and works, how this works out? It says this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God, that's what he did, that's, he believed God, and it was credited to him, it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then it explains that in verse 4 of Romans 4, it says, now to the one who works, His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if you're working for something, that's your due. You got that from God. If you worked for it, then you got it from God. That was your due. God owed it to you, and God owes no man. He gives freely, and you can't earn salvation. It's grace. And one of the things you have to understand if you belong to God is, is you have to understand his grace. That everything you have that is good is because of his good gift. You do not earn it. It's not God's due to you. He's not owing to you ever. And that's the way salvation is. That's what the, one of the main keys of understanding salvation is, to belong to the Lord. And see, if you get these two right, if you get guilt And grace right, if you get sin and your salvation right, what happens is you live a life in gratitude. Let's put them together, in grateful service to God. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by what? By the mercies of God. Not by your own good works, not by your own what you have achieved, not because God owes you anything, but by God's mercies, everything he's taught about. He appeals to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship has to do with presenting your body. See, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. Body and soul, I am his. I belong to him. What you do with your body matters. It matters in a spiritual way. Paul's exhorting us, when you understand guilt and grace, And what God has done for you in his son Jesus, you live a life of gratitude, of grateful service to him because of what he has done for you. If somebody pours out perfect love that we sing about today, perfect in power, perfect in love, perfect in purity, and he pours that out to die for you, who you acknowledge are a sinner, unworthy of all of that, Changes your life, changes your whole reason for living. It's a question to ask at New Year's. I belong to the Lord. We are the Lord's and we are His because we have come to an understanding of what sin is, that we were sinners. Romans 5 talked about God demonstrating His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is something to meditate and ponder on for the rest of the year the work of God's atonement in Jesus Christ, that I belong to him and he went after me, not when I was good, not when I cleaned myself up enough, but while I was sinner, while I was a sinner, while I was in my deepest, darkest sin, Jesus was on the cross demonstrating his love for me, dying for me, saying, I love you. And this is what I'm doing to redeem you. And when you get that, when you get sin, when you get your salvation, when you get the understanding of what guilt is and what grace is, Somebody that gave us all for you. You want to give your all for them. Body and soul. All your actions in your body, all your soul is a spiritual service of worship to Him. We, by the mercies of God, Paul's pleading to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So we. Do not belong to ourselves. We belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ. We understand that we're guilty before God and in need of His grace. This is the only thing that can save us from our sin and our enslavement to sin is His grace. Never by working hard enough, strategizing well enough, any of these things. It's a gift of humbly coming and receiving His gift in Jesus. This results in our life being a life poured out in gratitude to Him, freely knowing that we have freely received and that we belong to the Lord. That's what it means when we say we are the Lord's. We want to, in gratitude for such a great love, give our whole life. Are there other scriptures that talk about us belonging to the Lord that he owns us yes many this is one text but in First Corinthians 6 uh, verses 19 and 20 it says or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own so right here in the scripture you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body In everything we do, we glorify God. Why? Because we got to understand we are not our own to do with what we want with ourselves. We are His to do with what pleases Him. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. A people for His own possession. He is purified people for his own possession do we belong to the lord are we his people that he has purified for his own possession see you are not your own you were bought with a price you are you are not your own but you belong to christ and are his people his possession so what is your only hope what is your only comfort in life or in death What gives you solace? What gives you security? Especially when life gets hard. If it hasn't already, it will. Life is hard. And we face hardships. And we face death. We face death of parents. We face deaths of, of, of kids around us. We face death all around us every day. How do you face that with hope in life or death? In the comfort and security Of your money, of your pension fund that you have stored up, in the comfort and the solace of, well, at least I have. Can you fill in this blank? See, anything else you put in there, power, prestige, all the things that the world offers, they all fall short in the face of living your life and facing death well. But if you put all your hope in God, that you belong to him, you will belong to him in life and in death. How good is it, as I pondered this, to know that you belong to the Lord? To come to that point to know I was a sinner and he demonstrated his love toward me and died for me and gives me that gift of grace. What does that, how does that help define love? It helps define love in admitting that I am a sinner and in need of this gift of grace. It defines what love is. It's not saying, well, I don't have to deal with sin. I don't have to think about sin. I don't have to think that there's any bad news about who I am. I just want to, you know, my God is a God of love. You know, yeah, God is a God of love. He is. He is a, a God that is holy and just also. And he demands perfection. He says you must be perfect even as the Heavenly Father is perfect. And that puts us in a place to help define things not based on what we might think we are good in some measure in comparison to somebody else, but in comparison to a perfect and holy God. And that's the kind of definition that the Bible lays out for us. And so to belong to him, we have to admit that we need a free gift of grace to be made like him, to have his image stamped upon us and to become with a desire to be like Jesus. what it means to belong to him changes our life. It changes how we see exclusivity. See, exclusivity is a problem for people to say that Jesus is the only way. Well, there's all these other people. There's all these other ways that they might define what is truth so exclusivity of the bible and of the christian life is sometimes a problem for people but when we know that we belong to the lord and we understand these three principles exclusivity is not a problem for us we know that there is only one mediator between god and man and that is the man jesus christ that's what scripture says we know that the only way to the father is through jesus and that there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved That's no longer an offense to us, but a joyful surrender that our only security, our only comfort. See, it says only. What is your only hope? You might have other hopes. You might have only. You might have other comforts in life. There are other comforts that can bring you temporary comforts. But what's your only comfort? If you had to say your only comfort, what would it be? And it's that I'm not my own. We are not our own, but we belong to God. That's our solace only hope and exclusivity is no longer a problem. Jesus says, we are his, he has bought us, he has paid the price for us, and the bible uses the imagery of marriage. He says, we are his bride. We are his bride. And he wants us for himself exclusively, for no other, not share us with any other gods. It's why? That's the first commandments, to love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is being exclusively God's, his alone, not sharing yourself with other idols and with other gods. That was the problem with Israel, and we are just like them. Israel is our example of how not to be, and they weren't exclusively the Lord's. The Bible and the imagery of the prophets is that they prostituted themselves out to other gods. He uses this language because that's the heart of God that God has purchased us through his grace and the gift of his son and we we become his. We belong to him. Body, heart, soul, mind and strength. We're all his and we're exclusively his and he doesn't want to share us with anyone else. For the believer we say yes and amen. I don't want to be shared with anyone else. I want God to be my God. I want to belong to him. John Calvin said this about this portion of scripture. He said, we are not our own. Insofar as we can, let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and His will, therefore rule all of our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly, strive towards him as our only lawful goal. That's what this is saying, the goal in life. the means. what is our only hope in life and death, that we are not our own, but belong to God. He said the basic motive is that God sent his son to save us by grace, adopt us into his family. So now because of that grace and our gratitude, we want to resemble our father. We want the family resemblance. We want to look like our savior. We want to please our father. You see how that motivation works? how it changes a life of service and a life of gratitude when you understand God's grace. He goes on to say the basic principle is this then, that we are not to live to please ourselves. We're not to live as if we belong to ourselves. And that means several things. It means, first of all, we are not to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. We give up the right to determine that, and we rely wholly on God's word. We also give up the operating principle that we usually use in day-to-day life. We stop putting ourselves first, and we always put first what pleases God and what loves our neighbor. That's some good stuff, isn't it? That's what it means when we belong to the Lord, that we are the Lord's, that he is our only hope. What a great question to start this year off. What is our only hope in life or in death? It is that we belong to God. We are His. And it's so good. He knows us so well. The Heidelberg Catechism goes on and breaks this down and it says, (coughs) What is our only comfort in life and death? And what preserves me? That without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Isn't that amazing? The scripture bears this out that we are his, that he preserves us, he keeps us. John six, thirty nine through forty says, This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing. This is what it means when you belong to the Lord. Jesus says He has you, and He will never lose you. There is such deep comfort in this, solace in this, security in this. When you belong to the lord jesus said saying everything the father has given me I shall lose nothing and all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life Praise the lord gives us eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day He will not lose you and you will not lose anything. You think you give up something for god in this life You don't give up anything Gives it all to you back and more. He will raise you up on the last day. Nothing on you will perish. The scripture goes on, John 10. Soak this in what it means to belong to the Lord. He knows you. He cares for you. He preserves you. He keeps you. He talks this way as a good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And that know them is in an intimate knowing knows you better than you know yourself he knows you better than any husband and wife he knows you better than anybody could ever know you and even that you know yourself he knows you When he says i know you, i know them and he says and they follow me he says i give them eternal life and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all Look who's given, the one who's greater than all, the one who's perfect in power, perfect in love, perfect in purity. That perfect in power and perfect in love and purity is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. He won't snatch you out of my hand either. Jesus, that's what it means to belong to him. There is no greater reason. second Thessalonians says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. We need protection against the evil one. Protection from uh, the devil. First Peter 1.5 says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's this salvation that he's given us that we talked about sin, salvation and service. The salvation that he's given us is this intimate knowing he comes in and you belong to him and he knows you and you know him and therefore we get to this part where it says the will of my father not one hair can fall from my head separate outside of the will of the father matthew 10 29 through 31 he says are not two sparrows sold for a penny and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head are all numbered that's weird man that's like profound God knows us that intimately, that each hair has a number one do, and he's like, like, well, that hair back there is 293. You know? And he just knows every head. He just knows you that intimately. That's what it means to belong to the Lord, for you to be his. He knows you inside now. That's what that's saying. You know, all oh, the hairs are your head are numbered. And he says, fear not, therefore, you are much more valued than many sparrows. You know, a sparrow, he, not a single one of them falls in their 16 through 18 says you will be delivered up by parents by brothers by relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death sounds like things are getting really bad and Jesus says this you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish Whew. I'm talking about getting raised up on the last day He's bringing it all back no matter what you go through in this life Jesus is saying your're mine and not even a head of a hair of your head will perish he's going to bring it all back to the nth degree to the last little hair. 8 says this salvation is so great no matter what we're going through it's all working for our good for our salvation Romans 8 28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose boy that's what living this life is whether we live or whether we die we are the Lord's he's working all these things in our life for bringing about our of our sin bringing about our salvation by his great grace causing us to live a life overflowing with gratitude and praise and enjoying him along the way hallelujah this is our god ephesians 1 13 and 14 in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and you believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit whoo Glad i'm sealed sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance our inheritance not even one hair of your head will perish in the end he'll raise you up on the last day that's kind of inheritance everything that jesus is glorified with you are joint heirs with him and in christ he's resurrected he's at the right hand you're guaranteed that resurrection that's what it means to belong to him an inheritance until we acquire possession of it all to the praise of his glory isn't it worthy to praise him We're going to praise him. I think sometimes I'm motivated a lot by the church at large and the world and the persecuted church. And I love reading about the church around the world and what they're willing to live in and do. It motivates me that goes, wow, man, what am I complaining about in my life? And a lot of times you can look at, many of you probably read stories about China and some of the persecution there. And my brother had shared a story with me about uh, this Pastor Chin. And this began back in uh, 1978. He was a young pastor, and he ended up getting arrested, would not deny his faith in Christ, got thrown into prison work camp. And while he was there, to shorten the story, he prayed at one point, Please, Lord, let me have a place where I can pray to you fellowship with you, couldn't do it they'd get beaten if they began to pray if they did anything, if they heard anything uh, in praise and so soon after that the prison officials gave him a new assignment in order to break his spirit and indoctrinate him thir- uh, further away from his confession all he had to do at any time was just confess he didn't, you know, no longer believe in this Jesus and let him out, he wouldn't do it said they gave him the most difficult work assignment in the camp they assigned him to the camp cesspool this is pastor chin it's the sewer pit and that sewer pit served 60,000 prisoners his assignment was to scoop out human waste to use for fertilizer no one else wanted the job because very few people lived more than a couple of months first of all you to die of disease but because it was just lonely and repulsive and of course they did fear the deadly diseases and his heart was broken when he went to work on this new assignment day after day working in the foul pit he wondered if his prayers were even being heard but to withstand the hardship he began to sing he began to pray he began to quote scriptures out loud and one day it occurred to him He had prayed, asking for a place where he could praise God loudly. And because he was in a place so foul, the guards would not even come near him. And so he had this place of privacy to be with God and to worship him freely. And he realized this was his answer to prayer. There was no one there to hear him, but his faithful God. His cesspool assignment lasted for six years and miraculously he never contracted a disease from it. When he was released, the church for which he had labored and prayed for had exploded in growth and vitality. He traveled to poor villages where he saw the hand of God at work. He represented the cause of the suffering church in China around the world. And he would sing this song. Psalm and the we can, and I believe that's our exhortation today, as we come to taking communion together with one another. We do this in remembrance of the Lord. We do this in remembrance of our guilt, his great grace, and our great overflowing gratitude is the result of our desire to give our all to him. If you're a believer, you're welcome to get one of these cups with us today, and take communion with us, and the body is the bread, and we'll take it together. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he gave thanks for it, he gave thanks to the Father, and he said, this is my body. son the gift of grace given for us thank you for the gift of your son his shed blood that we are bought with a price and the price is the precious blood of jesus there is no other price that can pay to cleanse our sin but the precious blood of jesus and we remember that today we remember jesus his broken body and his shed blood for us